Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your host, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you? I'm well, Ed. I hope you are. I am well. Yes, it has been a strange week, though, has it not? It has been a strange week. Um, much to talk about, most of which is not good, and uh, some of which is, um, how shall we say, is weird too strong a word? No, I think weird may be the appropriate word this week. When we were here last week, America had watched this balloon go all the way across the country and then get shot down just a few days before that. And we criticized Biden for not taking action. Well, then in the last week, they just started shooting stuff down all over the place. And then uh, people started saying, well, why isn't the the president coming out and talking about it? And he finally came out a little while ago and said this. These three objects were most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation or research institutions studying weather or conducting other scientific research. So one wonders then why shoot them down? You know, interestingly, and we talked about this last week, he's been all over the place. Uh, both he and and uh, KJP and and the uh, others in the administration um, about whether this balloon should or should not be shot down at what point and then over the ocean not over Montana not over Alaska and then as you said they were shooting them down over the weekend um, seemingly without regard to where they were this slipped up on everyone nobody knew about it until you know the Canadians didn't even tell us until it got to Montana. Now it turns out that the American intelligence watched this thing lift off the original balloon uh, and watched it, you know, float across the Pacific Ocean and up through Alaska and down through Canada. It's bizarre. uh, But but I think what's troubled me more than that, or at least as much as that, is this idea that all of a sudden we can't find any of the debris, any of the wreckage beyond what there were some photographs initially of the first shoot down. I find that hard to believe, and I have to think that eventually, especially off of South Carolina, where they've got a pretty narrow window where it went down, they know how to recover stuff at sea. I think they will eventually pull that up. I don't know what condition it'll be in. Um, One thing I wonder about when I hear Biden say today, well, these might belong to private industry or or whomever, is – where are the people saying, where are the companies, where are the universities, colleges, whatever, where are the ones saying, hey, our balloon's missing? Um, you're, you're right, Mr. President. It was ours. And we're sorry we scared the pants off, you know, the whole world. Um, and, and uh, you know, they're silent. And, and their silence speaks volumes. It can't be cheap to be sending up some balloon to 20,000 feet, I wouldn't think. So somebody's got to wonder where their thing went. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the White House just earlier this week came out and actually said from the briefing room, these are not alien invaders. Never thought I would hear that. I just wanted to make sure we address this from the White House. I know there have been questions and, and concerns about this, but there is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Yeah, but but that's after they spent several days if not implying it, certainly um, the innuendo was that 
maybe these were perhaps, uh, you know, interstellar spacecraft come to visit. Um, and, and, you know, there are enough kooks out there that they didn't need that. Uh, and, and you're right. The, the, the idea that that would be talked about in a serious manner from the podium of the James Brady uh, press room at the White House is, is really surprising. But it was kind of necessary after a general at NORAD was asked the question and he said that he wasn't ruling anything out. Yeah. That kind of left people wondering. I have a feeling that that, that, that individual's career is probably going to end uh, March 1. Yeah, we'll see about that. Well, I guess we'll see if anything else gets shot down in the near future. Yeah. Well, how, how about the fact that they missed uh, on the, the, I don't know if it was balloon number, I think it was balloon number three, it might have been number four, the one they shot down over, is it like Huron? The, the first missile missed. And then, you know, you, you think about it, well, they're using a heat-seeking missile against a balloon. Does the balloon have a heat signature such that a, a missile could even track it in sort of a humorous way? How much ribbing do you think the pilot of, of that aircraft has taken that he, he missed it the first time? That's a, that's a good question, but the, the the answer to that is, hey, that's why we carry a spare. <laughs> that's right. And I was shocked that these, of course, Sidewinder missiles are, um, you know, they, they've been around a long time. Now they've improved them, of course, but only 400000 a throw. Yeah, relatively cheap for government procurement. Yeah, buy one, get one kind of thing. Um, what's the next biggest story on your mind this week besides balloons? Well, it's a little bit. It's a, it's a, it, well, it's, it's a little bit below the radar. On Tuesday, the inflation numbers for January were announced, and it was six point four percent year over year on the consumer price index, which is not good. You know, I mean, six point four percent inflation and wage growth growth is something like, you know. Four, between four and five. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not good, but. And in fact, I think they had predicted like 6.1%. And so it was even higher than the prediction, even though it's still a little bit lower than last month. And, you know, fuel oil is not part of the CPI any longer. Fuel oil is, was up 27.7%. Electricity, 11.9%. Groceries in general, 11.3%. Chicken, Ten and a half percent, milk eleven percent, eggs seventy point one percent, bread fourteen point nine percent, potatoes spelled correctly twelve point four percent, baby food ten percent, airline fares twenty five point six percent, and real average hourly earnings were down one point eight percent, and. It just it, it's not getting the play uh, that I think it merits. You know, Biden wants to talk about jobs created and all this kind of stuff. Our economy is teetering on, you know, a serious recession, if not worse. And, and I just I'm not sure. I mean, I think people know in the sense that they're they're paying these prices. Uh, there was a story just before we came on the air about gasoline prices being up. Uh, I think it's 11 or 12 cents from last month. Uh, and the administration is going to sell another 26 million barrels of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve here in, in, in the next few weeks to try to affect that. Um, but it may have the opposite effect. 
Yeah, actually, I have uh, I have heard recently, and I want to come back to the inflation piece, but I've heard that this 26 million barrel sale was mandated by Congress in some type of legislation a few years ago to pay for new spending. That's correct. Uh, and their theory was, well, we're going to sell this in, in a few years. It's going to help offset this, this spending. So we're back at a zero sum game, which isn't, which never works out. Uh, it hasn't worked out in 200 plus years, but it's being sold at the worst time when the strategic petroleum reserve has already been depleted significantly by Biden trying to affect uh, the price of gas at the pump. That's right. And you're right about the, 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 the law that requires it. Interestingly, though, Congress has put the brakes on the required sales from 20, 2024 through 2027. The, w- once these barrels were sold, we're going to be down under 400 million barrels in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, less than uh, three months supply if that, if that was the only source of, of oil, over 20 years to get to 440 million barrels or whatever it is we'll have after these um, uh, are sold. And then another 15 year, er, years on top of that to get to where we were before Biden started selling it off. If it's replenished too quickly, then that drives the price up even further. So the government has historically, since since this came into being in 75, bought tiny amounts all along so as not to artificially raise the price. But with, with all that's going on with China and balloons and Ukraine and Russia and all that, I mean, our, our national security effort does not need to be hampered by a lack of petroleum. Absolutely not. And I want to go back to that inflation number for a piece for, for a moment, because I saw that number about eggs being over over 70% more expensive than this time of year ago. And I think those are the factors that average Americans are dealing with, whether they, you know, at whatever income level, people notice their grocery prices and they can't buy as much as they used to. Absolutely. And that is also not something that's going to come down anytime soon. No, it's not. And, and the other thing, and I, I was thinking about this, you know, people notice the eggs, their grocery bill, their grocery prices. They notice their utility bill. The 2022-2023 winter has been particularly bad in the western part of, this, uh, of our country, in the, the northwest. But in the, in the east, particularly the northeast, it has been relatively mild. And But for that, I, I think that the inflation number would have hit harder to a lot of people and it would have hit harder in the major media markets, namely New York, Boston, Washington, D.C., uh, and so forth. When when the White House is crowing about inflation getting better, that doesn't mean prices are getting better. That just means they haven't gone up quite as much as the month before, but they still went up. That's right. It's like baseline budgeting and all that. It's all tomfoolery and practiced by charlatans and whatever adjectives you like. But the bottom line is they're cooking the books. Yeah. And since you mentioned Ukraine and Russia, I think I have to say something about that because it seems like Russia is preparing a major offensive. It's been talked about for a while with all these new conscripts that Putin has called up. Uh, They're apparently massing tanks, massing uh, bombers and manpower. And this doesn't look like this war is ending anytime in the near future. 
you know, the Belar- the Belarusians is that I think that's what we call them. They they're they're starting to you know, you wonder are they going to get involved because the Russians are massing troops on their border uh in addition to those on the from from the the Russian Ukrainian border. Uh, and that's a puppet state, uh, a vassal state some might say uh, of the Russians and you know, what happens if they jump in? Yeah, it could just expand. So I guess we'll we'll see what goes on with that. You know, the other story that seems to be still out there has to do with the classified documents. It has to do with the new investigations in Congress of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and how those linked by, or I guess I said Joe Biden, but Hunter Biden and Jim Biden and how those linked back to the president. Tell tell us about the affidavit. I think that's what you're alluding to. Yeah, according to the New York Post, these were some court papers in which Jim Biden told a private investigator in 2017 that he was often picked to attend meetings with Riyadh on behalf of Philadelphia-based Hill International because, quote, the name didn't hurt. You know, the the inference is that that he's admitted, or not the inference, but, well, perhaps the inference is he's admitted to selling access um, or taking making profit off the access that he has to had that time to his brother uh, to uh, further his own business interest. Yeah, I think the affidavit was provided in 2017 from what I've read. And uh, the deal went back to 2011 or before that, and it was for Hill to build a desalinization plant in Saudi Arabia. Uh, now, what's interesting about that is that uh, President Biden has many times denied having any knowledge of his family's dealings overseas. Uh, and yet these allegations keep coming up that the family has profited. And of course, some of that goes back to Hunter Biden's laptop in which there were deals discussed that he would hold money for the big guy. We all know about his his own deal with Burisma where he made thousands per month uh, without any knowledge of the gas industry. So, you know, it just seems like another aspect of, of what some have called the Biden crown family. I, I don't know if anything comes out of it, but at least someone is looking into it on the House side, conducting some hearings. Yeah. And, and it, you know, like you said, it, it got some play. The uh, Daily Mail and, and some others um, picked it up. So it certainly doesn't it doesn't help the president when he's facing these accusations of um, his family selling influence and, and his his profiting on his public service positions uh, for something like this to come out. It's it's unsavory at at best. Unsavory at best, illegal at worst. Yes. Now in political news, Nikki Haley formally announced her run for the president. And I thought it was interesting when she called for mental health exams for any candidate who was over, what was it, 75 years of age? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> because that clearly uh, also includes uh, former president and current presidential candidate Trump. What did you think about, and I'm sure, I hope you saw it, uh, I think you did, the video that uh, was recorded of her subsequent to um, the 2020 election 
when she was asked if she was considering a, a run in 2024, and she said yes, and she said, they asked her, well, what if President Trump runs? And she said, well, I, I would not, I would not run against him. Uh, and you know, you wonder what changed your mind. I mean, not that that binds her, but. Well, I did see it, and I think it's actually a little more complicated than that because she criticized Trump after the election and surrounding the January 6th things, and then she kind of made up up to him. She said she wouldn't run if he was running. Now she's running. I, I think it's complicated, and I think there are going to be some primary voters that are going to want an explanation from her. Now, the explanation may be as simple as, I want to be president. Uh, I, I think there are going to be some people who have problems with that. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think it's particularly a problem if it comes down to her and Trump being close rivals. Right. And if she becomes a leader over Trump, can she pick off those supporters who think she offended their man? Yeah. And, and honestly, I don't see her. I mean, I think she's the Kamala Harris of the Republican Party in 2024. I, I, I don't see her getting a lot of delegates, if any. And I think by by I saw somebody who said by 2024, she's a, a Fox News contributor. By the summer of 2024, she, she's a Fox News contributor. You know, that may be true by the summer, but I would disagree with the comparison with Kamala Harris, who dropped out so early in the primary season. And of course, California was much later on the calendar, so she couldn't make it to her home state. Here, uh, Haley's home state is South Carolina. And unless the calendar changes, it seems like South Carolina is still going to be right at the front. If not the front. So she could do really well there. Yeah. Does that momentum translate anywhere else? I don't know, but I think she could at least pick up some delegates at the very beginning. It'll be interesting to see what um, Henry McMaster does, the governor of California, oh, California, governor of South Carolina. Um, President Trump came out yesterday in response to Nikki Haley's ad, uh, not ad, announcement, and said that the only reason he tapped her for U.N. ambassador was to get her out of the way so that Henry McMaster, who was then the lieutenant governor, could become the governor. So it would seem that he is, there is some relationship there and that he is courting the support of McMaster um, as the primary gets closer. We'll see how that plays out. I don't know. I really don't know. But let me get you, before we move on from presidential candidates, um, let me get your thoughts. And uh, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly. Vivek Ramaswamy. Mm -hmm. He says he's strongly considering running. I had not heard that. That's surprising. He said that yesterday. Um, and, and what would be the, his basis of support? Well, you know, what he said in the last year or so is very much um, almost a carbon copy of the Trump Make America Great Again, America First uh, uh, platform or agenda. Now, he, he he's getting some pushback from the Trump people uh since then, by, because he apparently criticized the, pre, uh, the then president for some of his activities on January the 6th. Um, but but I, I, I got to tell you, um, he's young. He's energetic. He is incredibly smart. Um, and I, I have, what I've seen him say, I, I really I think he's right on point. 
and he he seems to be sort of um, a little bit more polished and a little bit more positive um, when talking about policy than certainly than former President Trump and and then you see from most politicians. I mean, he, he's. Uh, I think it's interesting. I have two thoughts about that, and they may sound contradictory. <laughs> One is that when we get 12, 15, 18 candidates jump into this, it becomes like 2016 again. And then you start having to divide debates up over two nights that anything could really happen because the vote gets fractured. And some candidate that we think isn't that strong could emerge somehow. But my other thought is that it's still going to come down to the name recognition candidates, which at this point are primarily Trump and DeSantis, maybe on a slightly lower level, Pence, Tim Scott, maybe Nikki Haley. I think name recognition is going to matter. And the more candidates that jump in, maybe it's the biggest thing. Yeah. And and I forgot about Scott. That's interesting. I mean, you know, he's being being from South Carolina. Even if McMaster were to endorse or stay out of it, aren't he and Nikki Haley going to basically split up the um, the non-Trump, non-DeSantis diehards in South Carolina? Probably so. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think it initially is going to look a lot like 2016 in terms of numbers of candidates. I mean, if if Pompeo, if uh, what's his name, Larry Hogan, if Pence, um, if uh, perhaps Sununu, um, you know, if those those folks throw their hats in the ring, too. I mean, wow. Yeah, you have a lot of candidates there. Well, Lee, I wanted to mention you going to you going to throw your name in. There? Well, I, I can't do I can't do it tonight, but, uh, you know, stand by for an announcement. You could be North Carolina's favorite son at the convention. Yeah, I'll get to work on that, Lee. That's when America went to hell, when we started having all these primaries to pick candidates instead of doing it at a convention in the back room, a bunch of fat men smoking cigars. You know, then you got better candidates um, than you do now with the primaries. So you heard it here, folks. First, I'm calling for an end to primaries. Let's go back to really, really juicy and interesting conventions. Machine politics. Absolutely. Well, you know, I did want to just mention one other thing, Lee, is is a passing of note that I know was important to you as a as a proud undergraduate of East Carolina University. And Jeff Charles, the voice of ECU, passed away unexpectedly this week. Hello, ECU fans. I'm Jeff Charles, voice of the Pirates. Yeah, um, got a lot of play down here, of course. And, um, you know, he, he'd been around a long time. He started in the fall of '88 when I was a senior in college, um, and and he's the only you know announcer that most uh, most pirate fans now have 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 heard. The the thing about him was he was a genuinely nice person. He never met a stranger. He always stopped and talked and had time uh, for you know selfies or autographs or or what, whatever people wanted. Um, and it was just a very genuine individual. He's had sort of a sad life. Uh, 30 years ago, last fall, his daughter was, I think she was in, she was young college, early in her college career, and she was delivering flowers for a local business and was killed in a, in a car wreck. <clears throat> and then he had, uh, he had uh, colon cancer, fought that, 
it moved to his lungs and he had to fight it again. And he was, I think, pretty much told you're not going to be here very long. And he, he, he persevered and beat it. The basketball team was in Tulane for a game on Saturday. And then when the team went to the, to the shoot around, he was running stadium steps in the Tulane basketball arena. And they got back on the bus. And before the bus pulled out, he slumped over and died. Um, and the reason we're doing this on Thursday night, as opposed to Wednesday, is they honored him at the men's game last night. And uh, you were kind enough to reschedule so I could attend. And also attending was uh, your friend, uh, one Roy Williams, um, who was attending because uh, Wes Miller is a coach at Cincinnati. And um, I am pleased and proud to report that Roy Williams is now 0 for 1 in Minji's. <laughs> well, here's a little bit of audio of uh, of Jeff Charles calling a game a few years ago. To win it right here. Larson is in the hole. Middle of the field. There's the snap. Ball down. The kick is up. And the kick is good. <laughs> From 33 yards out. You can paint this one purple. What an incredible win by the ECU Pirates. They become bowl eligible. Conrad, the freshman, ice water in his veins, hits it from 33 yards out. East Carolina leaves Provo with a 27-24 win over the BYU Cougars. My goodness, what an effort. You know, Lee, my thought was that that radio announcers to a certain generation are really the voice of any sport or any team or any university. I grew up in Georgia when Larry Munson was calling games for the Bulldogs, and he was famous. You knew that voice the instant you heard it. Absolutely. Uh, when I went to UNC, and and you know you had a uh, Woody Durham who was the announcer there, and he had been the voice there for years. And and it's just it was hard to imagine somebody else could take over, but ultimately, you know, somebody else comes in and does it, and then to the next generation, they were the voice of the school at that point. You know, you're right, Ed, and. And the sad thing is um, radio is kind of, at least from a sports perspective, it's kind of dying out. Uh, Young people tend not to listen to sports on the radio with ESPN and ESPN Plus and all that. You pretty much get to watch whoever you want to. Um, And when you can watch, you know, most people think, why listen? Radio is, was, and always will be the theater of the mind. And I think it it lends itself particularly to baseball uh, in a way that perhaps even television doesn't. Um, but, uh, and, and you're so right about uh, Larry Munson and, and uh, Woody Durham and, and folks like that. Um, you know, I can still remember, and I am certainly no Carolina fan, but I can still remember listening to Woody Durham uh, call particularly football games. And, and I remember that at one point in the late 70s, maybe early 80s, his sideline reporter was Dragan Mahalovic. That's right. Who is now a producer for 60 minutes. You know, it's uh, it's funny what you remember and, 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 and you remember about the ways that they talked. And, you know, while you say that, and, and you're correct, that, that people don't listen to the radio as much as they once did, how often do you see highlights on whether it's ESPN or NFL films or or whichever media source it is where they're showing you the video, but they've gone and pulled the audio from the radio because it's more exciting and it it just speaks to the the listener more. And and because this, because they're on the radio, 
they have to paint the scene and thus it is more exciting and it and it and it does draw in the listener um in ways that uh television announcers can't and shouldn't you know they don't have to talk as much because you got a picture but radio is uh you know for years and years and years i went to sleep every night with the radio playing with the timer i don't do that anymore uh, of course i haven't listened to the radio now in, in months um I just listened to podcasts, including our own. But uh, yeah, it's sad. And Tim McCarver died today. He did. Longtime MLB player, MLB announcer. Very sad. And Raquel Welch, if we're going to get into uh, famous people who died, um, left us yesterday. Well, it's some week, isn't it? So far, yeah. All right. You got anything else for tonight? Uh, well, it, it, you know, let's just say this. Uh, spring training is underway. Yes, that's right. And there are three new rules. And I think I think the rule that you will find acceptable is some type of, of pitch clock so that games can be brought back within some type of more reasonable time. Correct? You, you're okay with that? Correct. I, I think I'm willing to give that a shot. Okay. And that's been tested in the minor leagues. It has, and it seems to have worked fairly well. Um, Buck Showalter was saying that he, he believes that uh, not only is it good, but that it, you know a lot of people think it's going to put pressure on the pitchers. And he believes quite the opposite. It's going to put pressure on the hitter to get in the box and be ready to go, that there's more delay with the hitters adjusting their gloves and spitting and scratching and all the things that they do. Uh, so I, I think that'll be interesting to see how that plays out and in, in, in which uh, whether it helps offense or defense. Okay, so now what are the two rules that you don't like? I don't like the size of the bases. That they're, They've become significantly larger. As uh, our friend Mr. Cora, the manager of the American League, uh, the Boston American League Baseball Club, said they look like pizza boxes. And the idea behind that is that they think it's a safety issue, particularly at first base, so that less likely that there's some type of collision or first baseman getting stepped on. And and I think it has a tendency. I mean, it's not gonna it's not gonna make somebody you know steal a bunch of bases, but I do think it makes it it makes it a little easier on the offense. Of course, you could also argue that in in certain plays where the defender is trying to get to the bag before the runner, it it might make it a little easier on on the defender. Um, but I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I like that. It's probably not that big a deal. Um, I do not like the anti-shift rules. Uh, there apparently are two pieces of that, three pieces of that. Um, one is um, all of the infielders have to be on the dirt until the pitch is released, which, you know, we've always seen uh, – particularly third baseman and sometimes first baseman charge in a bunt situation and they charge well before the pitcher releases the ball have to be, there has to be a player on each side of second base and there's um, not going to be any more infielders playing shallow outfield. Um, So the batting averages should go up. There should be more base hits. And, you know, if there's a positive to that, I, I guess it would be that, Perhaps the game will not be as much about the um, 
the true the three true outcomes, you know, walk, strike out, or home run, there'd be more singles and doubles. Um, but but I just, you know, I, I don't understand why major leaguers don't bunt when they shift. You know, I, I, I don't understand that. You, you know, you shift on me, I'm on a bunt, and some of those guys uh, in that situation, a bunt's a double. Yeah, well, I don't understand the real motivation behind it because, quite frankly, you know, if they want to stack everybody at third base, I don't see why it should matter to MLB. But, you know, I thought you were going to talk about this extra innings rule where what you start off with a guy on second base who hasn't he hasn't had a hit. You just put him on second base to start the inning, right? Yeah, um, that was started during COVID. It's some kind of softball foolishness from middle school. You put the man who made the last out in the previous inning on second base with one out and play the game. In theory, a pitcher could pitch a perfect game and lose one nothing. Now, that's not going to happen because nobody throws a complete game anymore, much less a 10 or 11 inning complete game. But but it could happen. And I I just don't like it. I'm sorry. That and the DH are um, satanic as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so the game, the game's changing. The times they are changing. What else can you say? But, you know, I, what did William F. Buckley say? A conservative stand athwart history and yell stop? That's true. Yeah. So you've made your claim tonight. We'll see what happens. Yeah. What's on your mind? Well, I'm waiting to see what happens in Ukraine. I think that could be a potentially huge story, depending on when uh, Putin pulls the so, uh, yeah, the metaphorical trigger. Uh, on a on a huge offensive, and of course we're coming up on the one year anniversary of the whole thing starting. So uh, we could be looking at a totally different war in the next thirty days. Uh, I think that's of a concern. The other thing is, I would just mention Lee. Um, I saw an article in Daily Signal this week about some new government hiring rules, and I guess there was a proposed rule which has come out of. The um, the Biden administration, which would affect how people get hired to be employed by the federal government and the Daily Signal, which is, is put out by Heritage Foundation, is saying essentially it's putting up a virtual conservatives need not apply sign because this personnel management rule would allow vetting of potential employees for, quote, suitability and fitness for government employment. And it goes on to say that refers to uh, whether an individual has the required level of character and conduct necessary to work for the agency. And that's really vague, but it seems like it would have the effect of kind of breeding the same culture that's already there instead of bringing any type of new thought or any disagreement. So you essentially have to buy into everything that's been done and proposed to be done in the future, it seems like, if this rule were to pass, to work for the federal government. And the idea that it's conservatives need not apply is, yeah, it seems fairly accurate to me. Sounds like it. Uh, is that a proposed um, federal regulation? Or is that, a, is that a proposal in Congress? 
It is a proposed federal regulation. It's in the comment period now. So we have no reason to suspect that it won't be adopted. I have no reason to think it won't. So, And then it'll take however long before it gets to the Supreme Court and they can strike it down. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can email us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed the show, please click subscribe with your podcast provider. Leave us a review and tell your friends. 